Hi, everybody, and welcome to Urban Green's podcast, Building Tomorrow, where we have conversations with climate solvers. Every day, we meet people who make a big difference in the built environment and are moving us closer to a low-carbon future, and we want you to hear their stories. My name is Ellen Honigstock. I'm the Senior Director for Education at Urban Green Council. My co-host today is Pratik Srivastava, Structural Engineer at Stantec. Pratik, will you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Ellen, thank you for having me here. And... Hi everyone, I work as a structural engineer at Stantec in their New York City office. Uh, and being a structural engineer, my day-to-day involves like working on infrastructure projects from their design to construction and even inspecting pre-existing buildings and bridges and catering to their rehabilitation needs. So regarding my journey in terms of being a structural engineer, I always wanted to be one. And so I did my undergrad in civil engineering back in India, and then I moved to the US for my grad school and here I am in front of everybody. So. That's awesome. Thank you. So today we're super excited to introduce Robbie Vogel, a principal and structural engineering design lead at Stantec. Robbie is located in hot Austin, Texas, and Pratik and I are located in hot New York City. So it's fair to say that structural elements are responsible for a very large portion of a building's embodied carbon emissions. And we invited Robbie to the podcast because as a structural engineer, he's involved with some new initiatives to reduce this embodied carbon. Welcome, Robbie. Thank you for having me, guys. Excited to be here. We're happy to have you. So first, Robbie, can you tell us your story? How did you get to where you are now? Well, I kind of wanted to be an architect. I think that uh, growing up, building with linking logs, Legos, sketching, you know, I wanted to be an architect. Uh, but I didn't really have the knack as other architects told me as I was trying to be an architect. Uh, But in high school, I was able to choose architectural engineering, which dabbled in both. And uh, I got a great degree from a great university and, uh, you know, University of Texas at Austin. And from there, just uh, started practicing structural engineering and loved it ever since. Just just really love the challenge of bringing architecture and, and engineering together. That, that's great. Um, I, I would like to also mention, so uh, Pratik and Robbie work for the same company, but they've never met in person, which I didn't know when we when we you know agreed to this episode. And it was just really taken because Pratik had heard um, stories about Robbie and the work he was doing internally at their company and was really excited to pitch him as a guest on this podcast. So Pratik, yeah. can you tell us, you know, tell sure. us what it's to you. Yeah, so actually Stantec is one of the biggest like architecture engineering firms in the world. And Stantec, I'm very pro-sustainability. So I was looking for like sustainability in- initiatives by Stantec. And I happened to find about Robbie and because he is one of the leaders for the SE2050, which is like a group of structural engineers who are aiming towards net zero embodied carbon by 2050. And he is one of the leaders from Stantec. So I was like, he happened to be one of the best befitting guests for the podcast. Thank you again, Robbie, for your time for doing this. No, absolutely. Uh, I am the signatory for the SE2050 challenge mm-hmm. uh, for Stantec, along with Beth Tomlinson, who is our chief sustainability officer here at Stantec. All right. So, Robbie, can you um, start us off and locate us in the timeline of where the industry is now in this trajectory of uh, net zero embodied carbon by 2050? From Where are we now in that? I, I'm glad that you brought that up because when I got my LEED accreditation years ago, uh, I think it was version 2.2, this wasn't even on the docket, right? Like we, we weren't even talking about this. And it's one of those things that as I, I'm progressing in my career and we're starting to get uh, clients talking about like, 
what is what is Stantec doing to impact uh, embodied carbon? That's when you start getting your ears perking up. You're doing a little research on the internet and finding out that me, the structural engineer, is 50% responsible for the building's embodied carbon. Uh, you know, because of the materials used and how we build our buildings, which is, you know, relates to roughly 39% of the global greenhouse gas emissions across the world. And, you know, with 11% of that coming from materials and construction, we have to do, we have to do, we have to be better. We have to do something to be better. And, uh, you know, even though I'm a little late to the game, you know, because we've really been looking at this within the last decade, there has been people across mainly Europe that have started looking at this way before uh, the United States has. And I'm glad that, you know, years ago, uh, you know, our, our, our industry leaders have started pushing the SE 2050 challenge, which came out of uh, University of Colorado Boulder, uh, Thornton Tomasetti, some of the heavy hitting engineering groups, which, you know, started driving this, this initiative. So I was really happy to see that the biggest, I guess the, biggest heavy hitters that could impact this are getting on board to actually make a change. So what are some of the things that the industry has already done? Because we're not starting from zero, I imagine. Right, we're not starting from zero. Uh, I would say the, the, the structural steel industry has been recycling steel for quite some time. I mean, we're, we're looking at currently a piece of rolled steel is about 93% recycled content. And that rolled steel is also 100% recyclable. I think that between steel moving from more of a blast furnace process to electric arc furnaces, not only are we changing the way that we're fabricating steel, we're also, uh, I, know, I know Gerdau has actually looked at putting some major infrastructure in to do 100% renewable energy to power their electric arc furnaces. And I mean, we're talking huge investments, right? We're not talking about just little things and lip service. This is a big investment. They're putting in solar farms to be 100% sustainable. And most of our uh, steel industry has pledged carbon neutral plants by 2050. So we're, we're gonna be trying to hit this SE 2050 challenge together. That's awesome. I think the AISC is pushing toward that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it's it's really neat to see the the, the recycled carbon, or the recycled steel being a, a, a huge push. Oh, that's that's really good to know. So you know, as a designer, there's only so much you can do without the owner's buy-in for each project, right? So, how does how has that been working? Can you give us some insight onto that? Like, does getting buy-in from the owner always need to include the lowest cost solutions, or are owners asking for? other things and what are some of the trade-offs sure yes uh it's it's a little unfortunate because you know the we have to kind of think about when we're designing our buildings you know love the design love everything about what's going into the building except when it comes to that that budget number right and if we if we're going over that budget number what's the first thing that we cut right landscape <laughs> I, I see a lot of times landscape cut and and it goes that even goes more towards the well building, right? Like we're looking at how do you feel when you're in the building and cutting landscape is a big thing. But also when we're talking about the, the impact that we have with embodied carbon, the additives that we could put into concrete, the, the recycled steel is one thing. I mean, like you're just gonna get that no matter what, but as we're starting to look at ways that we can 
effect embodied carbon at one of the biggest, uh, you, you know, the biggest, like I guess, uh, off gassing or whatever the, the embodied carbon in concrete, right? We're looking at that being the biggest player. The chemistry in concrete is such that it's kind of the wild west. Like we're really trying to figure this thing out. And the owners really, when they're looking at this, they're like, I don't, I, I, I can't buy in yet. Cause there's a lot of ACI really hasn't bought in a hundred percent. They, they like the idea. They want to push it when it comes to fruition, but Nothing's been proven yet, and no owner wants to be the guinea pig. You have some that do, but a lot don't, and I can understand that, right? Because when it comes to cost, they, you know, they're looking at things that are being added to concrete, like algae, and putting, you know, actually putting carbon into it. They think it's almost like snake oil, because yeah. just it's not proven yet. Okay. Um, follow up question: <laughs> What do you think it's going to take to prove and make some of that stuff standard practice? chicken and egg <laughs> some somebody somebody of note is going to have to uh is going to really have to buy off on this like i challenge some of our larger uh manufacturers let's say mr musk at, at tesla hey you're building millions of square foot of manufacturing facilities why not use a more carbon neutral concrete like give it give it a run i mean some of our some of our bigger uh, distributions uh, centers, you know, the the online retailers of the world, you know, you're building millions of square feet of warehouse every year. Why not try to go a little bit more carbon neutral with your concrete design? Because it's huge. I mean, you have to have concrete, you have to have it. I feel even if you're building a steel building, you have concrete foundations, you have concrete slabs. Unless we're going to start talking about wood, love it. We, we, we love wood, right? Everybody loves wood, except when it comes to the cost and you know, the renewability of wood. I mean, we're cutting, if we were all to ship to wood tomorrow, right, and never talk about steel and concrete again, we would not have enough trees to be able to satisfy that building requirement, right? <laughs> so again, chicken and egg, right? What do, you, what do you want? How do you pick your poison? That's so interesting. And so are, is that some of the conversations that you all are having at these uh, 2050 meetings and how to, you know, what to prioritize and that kind of stuff? And I, that must be very interesting to, be a fly on the wall for those i it, yes to, to 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 put it simply yes it to even just be a fly on the wall and be in the meeting of these these brilliant minds and people who are pushing these renewable resources i you know i love the algae and concrete the uh, the biogenic limestone the algae <laughs> that's produced actually makes limestone and with uh portland limestone cement type 1l which is an approved mix by ACI. They went through the formal approvals and now we can use that as a mix design. That re the type 1L reduces uh, the carbon footprint by 10%. And that's with supplementing five to 15% limestone. That's negligible amounts, I feel, in a concrete mix. You know, and we're talking about the biogenic limestone being re relatively new. I mean, we're talking about 2022, 2020, that University of Colorado started looking into this sense of getting grants and funding to do this, but it is going to have to be that serious investment. Like we're going to have to make the investment to be able to do this, but you know, we're, we're looking at something like algae that takes a lot of room to produce. And they're talking about to satisfy the amount of concrete that we need to pour every year. We're looking at roughly one to 2 million acres of 
algae farms to be able to supplement the amount of cementitious re uh, material required to make concrete. But that sounds like a lot, right? But that's only 1% of what we use to grow corn in the United States. That sounds negligible to me. Wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, that, that's when you when you put it. It's like wow. I looked at it, it was like one to two million acres. Wow, that's a lot. But then it's like, but that's only one percent of what we use to grow corn. Okay, <laughs> I want the future for my children. I will give up that one percent of corn. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, Rob, you're talking about like algae. Like, do you know of any other technologies, new technologies, which are coming up in the field of like using concrete or steel or like some kind of like more sustainable ways and methods to do things? And how long does it take like to test those things? I so I've touched on algae. I've touched on the Type One L limestone. Uh, mm -hmm. There's another technology out there that came from a brilliant. Uh, uh, researcher out of I believe she was from Switzerland. Uh, in 2014, it's called LC3. Uh, it's limestone calcinated clay cement. It reduces CO2 emissions by about 40%. Oh, wow. uh, yes, so huge. And she's been at it since about 2004. Uh, again, has gotten funded over the years, has done a lot of research, but it's one of those things that we're just not there yet, especially in the United States. Most of her research has been focused in African nations. There's not a lot of code there. So they're, they're allowed to have a lot of flexibility, I would say, versus in the United States. Uh, so there is a future there, uh, especially with the amount of clay. If you come to Texas, we got plenty of it, right? So yeah. that's more of the Wild West than what structural steel has been uh, kind of forwarding. I mean, like, because they've improved the process, right? Like electric arc furnaces, much more energy efficient than actually burning coal, right? We've been using fly ash forever. Well, guess what? We're running out of fly ash, something that we used to throw away. Now, yeah. you know, they, they, they have a premium. They charge a premium at it. And in 2017, this is, the, this is I think, the latest data that I had from um, the Federal Department of Transportation. There's 38 million tons of fly ash produced every year. 24 million tons of that is actually reused. So, yeah, I mean, we, we, yeah, we have the, we have the old versions, the fly ashes, the silicone fumes, but we're, we're starting to move away from that because it's not becoming, it's, it's not abundant anymore. I mean, we used to burn coal. We don't do that anymore. So the, the product that's being produced as a byproduct that we can now sell and commoditize is going away because we're, we're not burning coal anymore. And I think the industry as a whole has seen that. And that's why we're starting to see the other additives that we can put into concrete that are a little bit more out there. But guess what? So was fly ash, you know, 50 years ago. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's like, it's like catch 22 because we are burning less coal. So we are having less fly ash. My next question would be because we live in New York City and New York City is one of the most developed cities in the world. And we have like so many buildings which are like which need renovation or rehabilitation or not just buildings like bridges. So what are your thoughts about building reuse? What do you think about that? I think adaptive reuse is probably the best resource that we have as we start to figure out this mm -hmm. sustainability piece. If you can find a building that satisfies your needs as a developer, as a building owner, I mean, why not use something that's already there? I mean, we've done testing in the past and, you know, some of the concrete that's poured 50 years ago is stronger than the stuff that they're they're pouring now for the same use, right? For the same columns. Yeah. And, and I feel that the adaptive reuse is just, 
it's just a really good method of design. I mean, like mm -hmm. I challenge our architects to be better about adaptive reuse of buildings, sell the owner on, let's go in here and like use this building. And I feel like the older buildings are cooler than some of the newer ones that we're doing. Sure. Like in terms of architecture, they bet. Yeah. I bet they yeah. are. Yeah. Yeah. So. I mean, and this is coming from a person in, in Austin, Texas, I would say that we can challenge any other city in the United States for the tower cranes that we have. Mm -hmm. I, I, <laughs> and, I, and I can understand it on our side because for the longest time we had restrictions in place where you couldn't build taller than the capital. But in New York City, Boston, some of the more established cities, you know, they've been kind of, you've had the mid and, and high rises for the last hundred years. Well, why not? Why can't we use that? You know, it's the developers, it's the CBREs and, yeah. and the, you know, our architects that really need to be getting together and going, hey, I would really like to use this building for this. Is there something that we can do that we can strengthen what's existing? So actually, that's a great segue to the next thing that we want to ask about um, collaboration across trades and how teams have to work differently. And what are some of the new practices that structural engineers will need to focus on, do you think, in the context of more reuse and you know, working better together across these teams. One of the things that Stantec's good at is being a really good AE design firm. So, you know, we're not big A, little E, we're not big E, little A, we're AE. And it is a partnership. It's a collaboration. It's getting a structural engineer in early. And it's like, let us kick the tires on this thing. Let, let us look, let us poke holes, right? Because very quickly we can, we could, say this is a problem but here's our solution right let us be part of that solution before it's a problem we don't want to get into it and we're in construction and it's like oh well, what what do we do here <laughs> there's a big shear wall that's in the way we didn't really think about this so when we spoke earlier prior to the recording you talked about there were a lot of opportunities for improvement and I'm wondering if you have some specific examples about that from, you know, projects, project teams getting better and that kind of thing. I feel like your trade is very specific in the way you work. And I'm curious to hear how that works. Yeah. One of the things that we could really look into doing is partnering with Autodesk. Me as the structural engineer, if I could use Revit in a way where it collaborates with one click where the materials that I am putting into Revit, I could run a, a quick report and within minutes find out, hey, what does this look like on the embodied carbon, you know, in that realm? Like how, how, how healthy is my building at this point? I mean, I feel like a lot of it is building health. So as we're designing, it's like, hey, if I use this mix with this additive from this plant, you know, that's within 20 miles of my site, how does that how does that affect my carbon footprint? And I think that integrating the engineering and the sustainability part into one program makes it to where you have to do it. It's so easy. You just have to do it. Right. And and I mean, just being an employee, the easier something is, the more likely I am going to be to use it. So I challenge, you know, our our, our partners at Autodesk and at all these other uh technologies that we use to to design our buildings like let's let's start thinking more on the sustainability side and like understand like how we can produce a product that our architects and engineers can use to design a building that's a healthier building so 
talking about cost like do you think like the new infrastructure bill which was signed recently like would it help in like infrastructure like sustainable infrastructure design any thoughts yeah i want to say that i read an article that there was a cost benefit of using more sustainable materials in your concrete i you know i, I would be called a liar if i said 100 i knew that for sure but i want to say that i read something that there was that that the administration the current administration was going to offer incentives for people to be more sustainable in their design like tax credits i don't know if it was tax credits but you know hey it the almighty dollar controls all of this right <laughs> true so i i feel like you know offer folks a reason to do it i mean like you know with solar mm -hmm. panels you you start looking at people that do co-ops it's like wouldn't 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 you consider putting solar panels on your on your roof if your your buyback your payback was cut from 10 years to five years true why why not right yeah why right. not so okay robbie i want to switch the topic just a little bit during one of our previous calls, you mentioned that you're also a hiring manager for Stantec and that you're seeing some interesting new things. And I want to ask you specifically about, you know, what's happening at your firm where you have lots of new hires coming in with a sustainability background and you have a lot of, you know, work experienced workers who have different kinds of experience, but they're, they're you know, there's new technologies and new, you know, interfaces that they're trying to, to work on. And how does that all work? Yeah, it's really funny, you know, again, like kind of going back to my history where it's like, wow, you know, I was only a few years into my career and I got lead accredited. There are students that are that are that are coming out of college that already are lead well. And, you know, Matt, just their 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 business card. I don't think we can fit it on one line. We have to wrap around for all the sustainable, uh, you know, credit credits that their accreditations that they have but uh it's really it's really encouraging that not only are are these students graduating with engineering and architecture degrees a lot of them are graduating with minors in environmental design and when i'm going to career fairs it used to be oh wow you're stan tech you did this project over here right that's yes yeah we did that like you know even even two years ago, hey, you guys did the Lucas Museum in Los Angeles. Yes, that was us. Yes. But now it's like, okay, you're Stantec, and I just read that you were one of the most sustainable firms in the world. And it's like, we were. And I saw that y'all did this project. Tell me more about this. And it's like, now I'm having to do more research about the sustainability part of what we do in our industry and less about just like, hey, the cool building that we just did at Stantec, because like everybody sees that, right? That's that's in the news, that's in that's in the trade publications. But now it's like, no, 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 no. I am interested in doing this for Stantec. How do I get my foot in the door to do that? Awesome. And yeah, and we and we've when when we say, hey, we need volunteers to 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 input in stuff to LC three or uh, uh, one click. Uh, and uh other you know because as we have to report to se 2050 uh we it's 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 data entry i don't know how many hands went up to say whatever i can do to help okay. and i think that's that's really encouraging because so before what, yeah so tell me also about how older workers and younger workers are sort of training each other because there's a body of knowledge that you gain being a structural engineer for a while but the, the young folks are coming out of school with a different body of knowledge or, or a related body of knowledge, but it's not the same as when you were in school and you 
you were only in school like 20 years ago, not that long. So I'm wondering, like, what does that sort of bottom up, top down training look like? And how do you manage it? And I'm asking, like, we, you know, we do a lot of education and I feel like that's a model for the future. So, um, you know, I want to see how you're doing it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I feel like it's a lot like uh, Montessori. <laughs> where where the younger kids can coach up the older kids and the older kids coach up the younger kids, you know, we're very collaborative. We learn from each other. Uh, whereas some of the older guard, I'll just say, because I'm, I'm somewhere in the middle guard, but some of the older guard are saying, hey, this is what we do on this and this is how we design for this and this is how you do your utilization or yeah, your, your utilization checks. This is how you do this. Whereas the younger guard is saying, hey, let me show you something. If I could, if I could do exactly what you told me in this program, but also do the sustainability piece, would you be interested in learning how to do it? And as long as long as they're not retiring next year and they have the, <laughs> the, uh, the, the, the desire to do it, because you know, we did. I didn't just commit. You know, Stantec. This is all of our structural engineers at Stantec committed to doing this, right? Like this, this is we are in this together. It does not matter if you're doing the smallest piece of a project or you're doing a, you know, a hundred story tower, right? Like we are all in this together. So the coaching does have to go both ways and we do have to have buy-in from both, both parties. So did you have to do anything specific to change the culture to allow that to happen, you know, easily or, you know, was there pushback? I just, it's unusual, I think in the industry to see that kind of training from both directions. And I'm just wondering how, if there's some kind of secret. <laughs> No, I don't think there's any secret. Uh, you know, like I feel like most of us have kids or grandchildren. And, you know, as it, it was one of those things, I feel like maybe it was kind of lip service or kind of tongue in cheek. Oh, we're doing this for, you know, the future. Right. <laughs> well, everybody's seeing it. Right. Like we, we mentioned it's 102 degrees right now in Austin. I'm of a global warming Israel kind of thing. So I, I, I feel like I know that it may not get absolutely reversed, but can we slow it down a lot? Absolutely. We should be able to slow this down. And if we're not doing it now, we're, we're going to be in trouble. And to that point, a lot of authorities having jurisdiction, right? A lot of the folks that are approving your, our permits are no longer saying the international building code is that's, that's the, that's, that's enough. No, no, no. We're saying there's minimums that you have to do. You have to do an envelope, uh, analysis on how is this, how's your building, you know, operating, how, you know, what's your energy efficiency? You know, it's, we're, we're, these are now being required by code and it's not going to get, it's not going to get more lax. This is going to be more stringent. So one of our things with our owners is saying, Hey, let's get on board now. You know, especially our repeat customers, the people who are building a few buildings a year, it's like, I understand that this is a tough pill to swallow, but if we can slowly move you into that being a hundred percent, right? Like, you know, we're every year where let's do 15% every year, right? If we could do that, it's not like the boom, the faucet gets turned on and now you have to do it by code because we, we saw that happen in 2015 when we were doing storm shelters, because one of our, one of our arms does a lot of K through 12. Well, by code in 2015, if you were building a new building that was education, guess what? You had a storm shelter and guess what? You just spent $2 million to more dollars <laughs> that you did not budget for. So it is trying to slowly getting, you know, our clients on board with, hey, this is a reality and this is going to happen. It's not, 
if it's when. Okay, that is a perfect spot to end. <laughs> Robbie Vogel, thank you so much for being our guest today. And Pratik, thank you so much for co-hosting. Um, any additional resources from today's episode will be linked in the description. Thank you so much to Urban Green's members and sponsors. If you'd like to become a member, please visit urbangreencouncil.org. And thanks for tuning in today. If you're enjoying this podcast, please consider subscribing to the episodes to get them as soon as they're released. See you next time.